Welcome to Costly Conversations. I am super excited because we have Sarah Joy Albright. Hopefully I said that right, but she is, uh, she's actually really cool. She is the founder or co-founder of um, an organization called Hold My Guns. And from what I understand, Hold My Guns is basically a step in the right direction, if not the solution for a lot of issues that we currently have in the firearm space. And I'm super excited to have her on. So welcome to Costly Conversations. My name is Aaron, and we just want to thank you for joining us for a podcast that talks about Second Amendment issues and real life social issues. And uh, let's go ahead and get started. Hey, hey. Welcome to the Hi. show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you. I know it's kind of one of those days where everything's kind of moving and shaking, but um, I'm glad that you're able to make it on and, and that we were able to have this conversation. Um, just for people who maybe aren't very familiar, who is Sarah Joy Albright? <laughs> I'm just a person. Um, so really, I, I just humbly... Um, I really am just a person. I'm uh, a mom of five and my kids are ages 22 down to 16 now. So if you, there's no twins. So if you do the math, like it's, you know, like it was at one point, um, five kids ages six and under. <laughs> and so I have a lot of um, just love for um, family and helping people and knowing what that's like to be in the trenches with um, lots of little kids all at once. And also for 11 years before I started Hold My Guns, I was a doula and childbirth educator. And I specialized in helping clients that had experienced sexual trauma in the past. So I really loved that job. I loved empowering women to make informed choices with their medical decisions by providing information and um, helping them and holding space for them while they helped to figure out what their best course of action was given the options that they had in their in their situation. And in that, I really emphasized having a birth plan and a safety plan so that those women and their families felt like they were in control. They knew what was going on. They knew their trusted resources. So that really carries over a lot into the work that we do now with Hold My Guns. Also, who is Sarah? Um, hmm, what else can I say? My husband, Tom, and I will be married for 24 years this year. And we were both homeschooled. So we're kind of um, just like quirky and very secure in our quirkiness. I love um, that. And yeah. And also, I'm the daughter of a Vietnam veteran. My dad is a Marine, and that really shaped my upbringing as well. I'm the oldest of six, and we really grew up with uh, kind of a survivalist mentality. We grew up with a lot of uh, poverty and stigma from that as well. We went through like the recession in the 90s, and so I learned a lot about that and about the welfare and public assistance system. And, um, you know, again, like I, I'm saying that in a way that is um, very understanding that sometimes you have to be able to get assistance in order to survive, but then also having the mindset of um, what can we do to be self-sufficient and to quickly get out of that system is 
um, as, as, as quickly as possible. So I'm really a, a big fan of hard work and studying and, um, and humility, knowing that at any moment in time that any of us could be facing hardship or grief, um, medical issues, medical emergencies. Um, and so I think it's super important that we know who we are and what we believe, that we hold strong to our values, that we connect with the right resources, and that we take leadership to be there and for other people in a compassionate way, but to build that infrastructure so that the right resources are there versus ones that exploit people and don't treat people with dignity. So I don't know, is that, <laughs> that's quite a nutshell there. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And I really hope people can, can listen to what you're saying because the, the picture you've painted, it's a lot deeper than most people go when they come on some show, some podcast, and they explain, hey, so tell us about yourself. And then they just kind of dive right into what they do instead of mm -hmm. like who they are, like what, what informs their life choices. So thank you for kind of being vulnerable for a moment and sharing just a little bit about who you are and kind of what what is the composition, you know, per se, of, of Sarah. So thank you for that. Um, I think it's really awesome that these decisions or these, these series of events, um, you know, the, the, the old book series, um, Series of Unfortunate Events, if you're familiar. Um, I love Lemony Sticket, yeah. Yeah, no, that was, that was uh, my childhood. So I thought it was really interesting that kind of where you are right now, where you are the executive what's the title the, the fancy one executive director it's a fancy title that means right. that i i'm the one that has to write as per my last email right right as per <laughs> yeah. my last oof the, the shade i, I don't there, do right? that it, that's actually really cringy for me i do i purposefully don't do that so i had to give a job there but yeah hey, you know I, I get that like I, I i worked in the corporate space for a little bit and it, it, it means I don't sleep at night because I was like, oh, wait, shoot, I've got to do this one more thing. It's right. the buck stops with me right now. So, I swore yeah. you sent me an email like like super late one night while we were Probably. prepping for this. And I was like, oh, that's weird. She's up. Hmm. Yeah. So, but so are you, apparently. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't. I don't sleep. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> so, I don't. And it's not because I don't want to. I just I just can't. I got too much going on with this and my, my, my day job and, you know, two small kids. But right. kind of back to back to you. I think it's super cool that you've created this this organization. You and you and your co-founder and whoever else was like in your corner created an organization that looks at assisting the gun owner. And I have some questions that I'm sure there will be other questions that may or may not pop up in the chat that we can kind of really dive into. But the organization Hold My Guns. I know that wasn't the that wasn't supposed to be a permanent name. That was something that somebody just said, right? Well, it's, I love that you know that. Um, so not a lot of people know that. So Hold My Guns was like a working title because it really does, it describes what we do, but it was kind of funny. Like we should probably come up with like armory or security or something like this. And, you know, the working title was Hold My Guns, like Hold My Beer, but there's also like some really, uh, like crass rhymes with hold my guns, which I found. Um, so I was just like, ah, oh, this is not probably going to be right. It's probably not going to be what it's called. And I mentioned it to my co-founder Genevieve and she at the time was working with the gun collective. And so John Patton um, mentioned hold my guns. And I think it was like on the air and then invited me to come to 
their um, discussion panel in Indianapolis, which was at that year was coinciding with uh, NRA. So with NRAM. So all of a sudden, like we have a booth and we we're like, quick, we better make a sign. And because he had already mentioned hold my guns, I was like, I guess this is what it is. And it stuck. And I actually like it now because it's memorable and people aren't um, like they ask immediately, like, what does that mean? And it is consistent with what we do. It's not as prestigious sounding as I envisioned it would be, but um, you know, John's a media guy and he's like, no, this is it. This is the title. So I was like, okay. And it stuck. So I, uh, we actually, I have to just brag on our attorney, Joshua Prince. He actually was able to trademark it, which is really amazing because you have to kind of show ownership of it like that this is our phrase and so he was able to argue that brand recognition for what is kind of a common phrase so that's pretty cool that is freaking sweet yeah hold on here we go so yeah that's that's amazing and i think um well for those who have been watching the show they know that john's kind of a friend of the show he came on and um definitely spent some time with us and it was really cool to talk about gun con and the things. I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. are going to be there this year, but that's something that we're, we're looking forward to on this side. Um, that said, it, it's funny how, you know, the world kind of informs what, what happens sometimes, even, even the names that you chose, um, mm-hmm. is, is crafted by, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, we're title and people are like, no, 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 this is it. And you and your <laughs> infinite wisdom is like, no, that's not, it's not going to work. But it ends up being perfect for what you want. Um, so that, you. that's really cool. But let's, I guess, let's talk a little bit more about what Hold My Guns does. Because I know we've been kind of like just kind of dancing around it. And I mentioned it kind of early on. But let's talk about what Hold My Guns actually does, who it's for, some of the benefits, maybe even some of the, I guess, positions that people take against it, if there are any. So mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about that. What is, what is Hold My Guns? So Hold My Guns is a 501c3 nonprofit. And what we do is we partner with gun shops to provide voluntary firearm storage during times of need or crisis. And it is designed to support gun owners and it's designed to fill the gap of what do I do with my firearm if I don't have friends or family who can hang on to it for me. And the way that it came about was Uh, that we lost an 18-year-old friend to suicide by firearm. And I'm a range safety officer. I didn't mention that for some reason in my who am I, Um, but that's a big part of my life. And my kids are into shooting sports, or they were at the time. They've actually all, all have like jobs and don't do it as much as they want anymore, but at the time. And so they came to me and said, mom, you know, you're, um, you know, we've raised us to appreciate our rights and, responsibility and we really want to be able to protect that but our friend is dead and how do we help people who don't have a way to get help and maybe have some take a break from having firearms in their home if they have someone who's going through a hard time um, in a way that doesn't have stigma that's just like a normal thing to do and so they they're actually the ones that kind of brought the need to my attention and the more that I thought about it I was investigating laws here in Pennsylvania, and what I found is that unless you have a concealed carry permit, 
that you're not supposed to safe keep firearms for others. You can safe keep rifles, but not uh, pistols. And I guess it has to do with like hunting laws, why rifles are okay. Cause you can like hand a rifle to your buddy while you're, <laughs> while he's up in a tree stand or something like that. I don't know. But I just realized that a lot of mental health professionals, they're well-intentioned, but they say, just give your firearm to a friend to hang on to. And I was like, whoa, well here in Pennsylvania, that would make you a felon because it's an illegal transfer. And I can't emphasize enough that it is because of gun control that makes something that should be a, you know, kind of, I don't like the word common sense because it's been just bastardized by gun control people, but right. it would make it in the truest sense of the word, right? It would make sense that if you needed to give your firearm to a friend for a moment, that that should be lawful to do. Um, but it's not. And so I also realized that even if it were lawful, that not everybody is blessed to have friends or family who can help. And so a lot of times, you know, we even get caught up in the all the legal stuff and then we just have to step back and kind of check ourselves and be like, all right, just because I have people in my life who I would trust doesn't mean that somebody else does, you know? So it really just put in my mind that we have an opportunity to take, leader, take, take leadership as a gun community, to look out for one another, to utilize our existing resources of you know being able to handle firearms of having a place to store them for the benefit of our community and in a way that is understanding of both the human aspect of every now and then the service is needed and also the aspect of we must preserve rights and do it in a way that protects privacy so in addition to storing firearms um, which requires a transfer because you're you're storing a completed firearm we can store non-serialized critical parts and we can also store accessories such as keys to gun locks or a safe. So depending on what people's individual needs are, we can store firearms adjacent items as well that would render that firearm to be inoperable if someone felt that they had a risk in their home of someone gaining unauthorized access or that they need distance from lethal means. But at the same time, if they're, for example, traveling or being deployed or they're selling their home and they have an open house and they have to have a firearm out of their home completely, then we have a process for that as well. Yeah, that's um, that's actually really incredible. And I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about the, the friend who was lost. And it's too often that we hear the story of, you know, friend, person in the industry, whoever, you know, maybe you don't even know the person, but you kind of see them around, you saw their post, social media influencers even, and mm -hmm. one day they're here, one day they're not. We, we literally just had a conversation with Walk the Talk America, who I'm sure you're very familiar with, mm -hmm. and they were saying they kind of was started because, you know, every, seemed like every event, somebody would not show up and not because they didn't want to yeah. be there, but because they lost that battle which is mm -hmm. you know horrible but to have a resource i think is it's, it's important and I'll, I'll say this i was just having a conversation well it was a, it was actually a post it wasn't a conversation um that i looked at and it was like hey we need to take control of these conversations that are happening that the everybody is kind of putting it on us every time something bad happens every time there's a, a mass casualty event every time there's some sort of incident the conversations had without us 
and mm-hmm. without us actually driving the conversation. And I'm not trying to say like, oh yeah, we need to um, do things to restrict our rights. But I think what you're doing, and you know, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong, is creating a situation that doesn't require legislation. It just requires private businesses and private persons to have a transaction outside of you know the government's overreach and watchful eye that doesn't require any any unnecessary disclosure but allows them to make a choice make their yes. choice and make their to, choice and to continue mm-hmm. to be able to make their choices when they when they feel that they're you know ready to have it again or you know for and I, i've heard that other people can use this service as some sort of service option like you'd mentioned earlier if you need to um you know, have the guns out of the house for any reason, if you're going to be out of town or um, service members, if they deploy or, or, you know, I, I actually know a family who they have a, a young kid who he cannot be left with access to guns because he's just kind of crazy, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And with that said, I'm like, okay, well, if I have, you know, a lot of gun guys, they have more than one gun, you know? <laughs> Yeah, you have <laughs> 10 gun guns, girls like, do too. Yes. Yeah, excuse me. Gun, gun peoples. <laughs> yeah. My, my gun humans, they, mm-hmm. we, we love to, you know, have more than one and you might say, okay, well I'll keep my, my everyday carry in the house because I can, I can kind of keep an eye on it. I can keep it on my right. person. But when I go to work, this kid's going to be here for a while. You know, he might have access to, you know, the three or four rifles that I have. I'm not comfortable with that. Let me, while we're trying to figure this situation out, store them here mm-hmm. or make them inert by taking the, the bolt carrier groups out or whatever, you know, essential component. Um, exactly. And, and at that point you have some sort of solution. I'm not saying that it's the only solution or a permanent solution, but it leaves you in control. That's, that's what I've understood this organization to be. Tell me if I'm off at all. You're not off. I want to just point out a few things that you said, and that is, and we saw this even today. So in Harrisburg today, they had public hearings on gun violence was mm. the, the title of their hearings. And it was a very, um, it was a very like secretive event. It was put together by um, legislators that were all of the same leaning towards gun control the the and, and i'm it, not it always seems to be that way i'm not i'm not kidding it it was secretive and like it wasn't even it was supposed to be a public hearing Aaron, and they didn't even announce it until just a couple days ago and miraculously every single gun control group knew about it but it wasn't really as public as the hearing suggested and they had an entire roster of people testifying whose names were kept anonymous until the very last minute And so a moment ago, you said like, you know, that there are these events that happen and, you know, maybe we should try to become more involved with them. I hear what you're saying. I agree with you that we do need to be involved, but I want to encourage you that the machine that's putting together the gun control solution out there, it's a very well-funded and well-oiled machine. And it is by design in a way that you will not have a seat at that table. And if you do, you are their token gun owner and you have a, a playlist a, like that you have to, things that you have to say, or else they will turn on you and you will not be able to be at that table. And so I want to encourage listeners out there 
do not wait for the clowns to give you a seat at their table. You need mm. to take leadership and you need to make your own events. What is keeping our community from having a public day, not underneath someone else's banner and where they're there is their token person saying, oh, here's my gun guy, here's my gun gal. They're mm. gonna say what we want them to say. This is really something that I can get very angry about because I understand that they also are very influential in policy. And so I'm trying to encourage our own community, like, you know, maybe hold my guns isn't your thing, but right. But get involved and find a way that you can take leadership for the things that matter to you and, you know, make, make your own table and bring the people in your community who actually care about preserving rights and being compassionate and saving lives, invite them to come speak and put the flyers out and be inclusive instead of exclusive. Be Put some sunshine on it instead of having secret meetings leading up to it where everyone's like, it says it's public, but we don't even know who's speaking yet. And mm -hmm. what, you know, and then you find out like that you can't even get into the room because those seats have already been filled, even though it's a public mm -hmm. hearing, right? I'm sure that this sounds familiar to a lot of people out there. So I encourage you, if you can get a seat at that table and you then if you get a seat at that table, you make sure you know what you believe and why and that you are well versed and that you're willing to speak up because you do not want to be used in that situation. You want to be a yeah. leader. But more importantly, let's take a more proactive approach and create solutions. And I also want to say, you know, our logo says freedom, safety and compassion. Um, at the time, the word safety was not as much of a uh, controversial uh, euphemism as it is today. But again, like kind of like the words common sense, it didn't used to have that <laughs> same euphemism. Um, but having the word compassion on there is, was really important to me, especially with my background and wanting people to be treated with dignity and compassion. Um, and I think that when I do hear the testimony of people although they are being used by these gun control groups, they want the people that have the hard stories and they give them assurances like share your story because it will really help to create positive change. But they're not saying the positive change that we're going to have is going to take rights away from people who, by the way, might other be, otherwise be victims to this very violence that we're all fighting against. Like they don't talk about that part, but they put the cameras in the, in in people's faces and they know that they're going to cry because their their spouse died or their child died right here's what we don't want to do we don't want to make fun of people who have been pulled into this machine because they're sharing their heart and they don't understand what they're doing is that they're being used by these gun control groups um and instead of making fun of them for being part of it which is our tendency to do because you know if we ever we don't like something and we feel like it's a bit of a threat, we just kind of throw the whole thing out. But I would encourage people to be compassionate then and say, I am grieving with you over the loss of your son or daughter. I'm grieving with you about the senseless violence that just happened. Um, like one of the people testified, I believe he was a mayor, that there was a drive-by shooting that there were 32 rounds put into a house just a few doors down from his. And I used to, I used to live in Coatesville, Pennsylvania for 20 years. So like, I am very familiar with, um, with how violent a city can be. And I also know how beautiful it can be to be compassionate, even in a city like that, like we would have a bucket of, of uh, toiletries and snacks that the kids, when they would come in, we had a lot of friends with kids who lived on the street. And I would say like, 
um, please stop stealing our food and going through our medicine cabinets and stuff. Cause I mean, you have to be protective of your of boundaries and, but yet be hospitable. And so in that situation, I was compassionate that the kids were hungry and that they needed toothpaste, but I didn't want them using my toothbrush and I didn't want them getting into food that maybe I was saving for our family dinner. So of course invite people to dinner, but like I provided a solution that they wouldn't have to be stealing in order to eat. And they didn't have to be embarrassed to ask for, can I get a toothbrush? Can I get a granola bar or protein shake? So find solutions that address the compassionate need in a way that give people dignity, but still have boundaries like don't steal. And really we can apply that same thing. And so please listen to that. When you hear testimony from people in gun control groups, don't turn off your heart, but instead look for ways that you can compassionately address their hurt and be present in their hurt. We, we mourn with those who mourn and we weep with, or we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep, but we can do that in a way that still can preserve rights. And when we do that, when we preserve rights, we are preserving human dignity. That's incredible. Um, so are, are you Christian? Cause that, that's, um, that's some scripture. Right yes. There. I can't okay. help it. Yeah. It just, so it's something. I tell me, how has your, how, how has your faith impacted this mission? First of all, uh, it's something, thank you for asking that. I don't really get asked about that a whole lot. Um, first of all, it's something that came, Hold My Guns came out of grief, but it came out of uh, prayer for the family and for my kids and asking God for a solution and uh, just taking into account, like, I know there's got to be a solution here where there's truth that we treat people with dignity, but still um, preserve rights because really, um, the second amendment it it does preserve rights to um you know to be able to bear arms but then it protects other rights that we have like you know even the the freedom to meet and to worship and the freedom of um of speech and so you know it's really important that we preserve that right to bear arms even though it's a a god-given right to be able to protect ourselves but it's there for good reason so starting there with that but then also just um i think faith comes into play a lot because I trust in God for the problems that I face. And I know that um, even if I don't have a solution right away, that I can trust in faith, knowing that God is at work in people's lives and doing things behind the scenes that I might not know about. Um, Whenever I get emails from people uh, or whatever connection on social media or not who are in crisis, I pray for them. Um, So I, I would say that really faith permeates like every aspect of my life. Um, and it does that in a way that brings me a lot of joy, even despite a lot of hardships, um, in life. So yeah, that's something I could, I could talk about all the time, but I really, I believe that because Christ first loved us, that it frees us to love others in a way that is pure and genuine and that we don't have to like worry about what people think. And it gives us the, um, if we know that we're doing something because we care, that it frees us to be able to then be bold and courageous and go and, and serve knowing that we're serving for God's glory and not for our own. That's incredible. So one thing that 
you, you said that stood out is really understanding, you know, that you can be bold and courageous. And, um, that's, that's, that's good. Cause you know, this, this world is so full of, of opportunities to be frightened, opportunities to be kind of be timid or to yeah. walk into a room and realize that you're probably the least qualified person to be here, but you know, you feel like, or you, you have an understanding that God put you here for a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this is, he wouldn't have put you here if, if it wasn't the moment that he, he kind of predestined you to be. Um, someone's going to knock my theology on that, but okay. <laughs> okay. But really, if you are there in that moment, where, regardless of what you think about predestination, like you really are there. And so you're, then the next thing is, you know, what am I supposed to do? And you're supposed to glorify God. And so it's like, okay, well, how am I going to do that in that moment? So, you know, we were called to do that. And there are many people in scripture who weren't really qualified to do what God called them to do, but he made a way. And I think a lot of times, um, well, I've, I've seen in a big way how God has been a way maker for us. And so I, but again, when you, when you see that whatever I do, like scripture talks about, like whatever you do, whether you eat or sleep, you know, whatever or you, you, you take a drink, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God. Right. And, and so when you do that, then you start to see, okay, well, it's not me. Uh, this belongs to God. One of my favorite verses, I, I hope I'm getting the reference right. It's John 3, 30, but it is, uh, he must decrease. Or I must decrease. See, he totally screwed that up because I'm embarrassed, but um, he must he okay. must increase and I must decrease. And so yeah. that's something that um, I pray all the time. And it's really, Aaron, sometimes like when you're in that public spotlight, it can really get to your head, even if you don't intend for it to. Like at SHOT Show, we were in the Epic Times twice. <laughs> and I wow. was like, I had friends calling me to tell me this and I didn't even realize it at the time. And then I started to get really flustered. And then I got my eye off the mission. I was more like, shoot, what did my hair look like in that, in that shot or whatever? And I was like, I'm not here for my hair. Nobody, you know, ever knows I didn't go to beauty school, but, um, you know, but I am here because mission's more important than me. And that's, that's what it's all about. So. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting when you when you know that your mission is bigger than you, and I think that's that's a big takeaway for for everyone, regardless of of how you view God and 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 the universe. But when you know that your mission is bigger than you, that this moment is is created, and you have to act, mm-hmm. you have to do something. I think that's that's a that's a that's a beautiful thing because it kind of puts things in perspective and it allows you to say like okay, it's bigger than me. I don't have to worry about this. I have to worry about kind of performing, um, right. and and even even then, kind of understanding like okay, it's okay. Right. So, one thing that I I did want to talk about is the naysayers, the the detractors, and. I haven't seen a lot, but I was doing some research and I was like, okay, well, and I, I, I came across one comment section where everybody was like, well, this is dumb. I can't believe And it's like, I, I think they missed a point. What are, what are some of the things that you've maybe come across? Have you, have you come across any detractors who maybe don't necessarily see the value in something like this? Absolutely. Um, and by the way, I love it when people are critical of this work because we need to take the preservation of rights seriously. And, you know, a couple times throughout this conversation, I've I've mentioned, you know, words like safety or common sense that have been twisted 
for a political agenda. And we know that mental health is exploited for a political agenda. We know that grief and loss of people who, uh, you know, were, were took their, li their life was lost in a violent encounter. We know that that's exploited for political reasons. And so I would encourage people to look at everything, including hold my guns with a very critical, skeptical lens, like who are these people? Who is, who's Sarah Albrecht? Who's hold my guns? You know, who are some of these gun control groups out there? Um, who's, who is the, uh, all these different organizations in our firearms community and the ones that are, you know, in opposition and, and whatever it is, whatever it is, you know, like, what is this, where is this grocery store giving our, giving donations when they round up my transaction at the register, right? Mm. We need to be thinking people about everything. We have to be purposeful. We have to be mission focused. And so I really applaud when people look at the mission of hold my guns and then they start to investigate, like, what's the mission statement? What work are they doing? Is their messaging consistent with their actions and, you know, who's supporting them and things like that. And I think that if people dig deeper, they will realize that we are here because we love our community and that our goal is to save lives, but it's also to preserve rights, which then ultimately saves a lot of lives. We know that there's like 1.6 million defensive gun uses each year. That's a national firearms survey that in 2021, Georgetown University put that out. It's really hard to argue with stuff like that. So that's the context that we're operating in, that we want to preserve rights and we also want to preserve life and we want to do it in a way that those things can exist because they actually do in the same space. The naysayers, um, can they say things like, um, be really careful about storing your firearm at an FFL because, you know, there it's in the acquisition and disposition logbook and it's a transfer, um, and actually, I do think that people have to be concerned about law changes and things that would um, potentially like, you know, have privacy issues. And I want to address that to say that in our contract, we actually have that if a person does get a subpoena or a court order where that A&D logbook, the acquisition disposition logbook would have to be um, accessed for the purpose of a court order that we request that that information is sealed. At that same time, we only have in there what is the minimal requirements by the law for the inventory of that FFL, and that's make model serial number and the contact information of the owner. And we use a consignment consignment return process. So it would be the same exact process looking like that on the book of if someone were to bring their firearm in for consignment, it didn't sell or they changed their mind and then they would come and pick it up. They would do the 4473 and then they would, you know, if there's if there's a waiting period or any extra things because gun control states have different laws, all of those processes have to be compliant. But at the same time, we know that, um, you know, for many people who need to have a place to store their firearms and this is the option that works for them, they're willing to do that, just like they're willing to purchase a firearm at a gun shop, and it's the same kind of information that's being um, kept there. But we also know that not everyone wants to do that, so that's why we store, um, you know, the non-serialized parts, or you know, because maybe someone has a privately manufactured firearm and that can't go into the A and D book. So, you know, but if they store a firing pin or 
um, that Bolt Assembly, then it means that they met the need that, that they had, but it didn't put it in the logbook. Same thing with holding onto keys for a gun lock or a safe. So I acknowledge that there are flaws in a system that is, you know, the fact that we even have to have federal firearms licensees in the first place to operate a gun shop. I mean, like, let's back up and and go there. It's really interesting because a lot of the people that have the, that are the naysayers are the same people that are online. And it's like, do you realize that if you've got your Facebook page and you're, you know, trying to put all this stuff on Hold My Guns page that actually all of your public information and all of your kids' photos and all of your favorite movies and everything are painting a very amazing picture for anyone that would be wanting to know about your personal life. And you're actually mm -hmm. sharing more information there than you would be if you would put your firearm, you know, uh, make model serial number in A&D logbook. So yeah. anyway, it's those, that's the common one. Another common one, Aaron, that, that makes me a bit crushed is that people say things like, um, oh, well, I would never need to store my firearms. And the response that I have to that is, um, I'm really glad that you're blessed with a life that you have friends or family who can help, but please understand that not everybody does. And that, you know, if you are making fun of people for needing to use this service, you're actually creating more stigma and the people around you will not, um, you know, they will not get the help that they need because you're actually putting down the fact that they need this help in the first place. And I always try to like encourage them like, Hey, I understand you know, your thoughts about this, but what's more important to me is how are you communicating with the people around you? Are you someone that people can trust if they say I'm having a hard time so much that I don't really want to wake up tomorrow? Like what if someone came to you and said that? Um, I actually got certified as a QPR question persuade refer um, institute. Uh, it's a, it's a um, suicide prevention gatekeeper instructor training. So I offer that class, Hold My Gun sponsors, um, the suicide prevention certificate, which by the way, is a phenomenal addition to um, being a range safety officer or a firearms instructor, because it's applying situational awareness to looking for people who might be in need on the range or in our community, and then learning how to talk to them in a respectful way and connecting them or referring them to appropriate resources. So when people are naysayers, I try to dig a little bit deeper and help them to understand like, you know, your voice is pretty powerful. I hear you. And so do the other people around you. And so are you somebody that people can trust if they're going through a hard time? And if you have, to, if you pause or you answer no, how can we equip you to feel more comfortable with helping other people? That's incredible. I, I do think that you're, you're absolutely correct. There, there are an unfortunate, an unfortunate number, I mean, one is too much, uh, a, sus, a subsect of the population who happens to be gun owners and they don't understand the mission or the vision. They're like, hey, some of your buddies who went to Iraq, they're not okay. And they've got a, a few really sick guns and they're willing to use it on themselves. Like just to be really blunt, I know I didn't offer any trigger warnings for anybody who maybe is struggling with that. And, you know, I, I implore you to get help because your life is valuable and I want to see you do so good. But kind of going back to, to what I was saying, if you can't see that, like you gotta, you gotta get out of your little hole that you've dug in the sand that you stuck your head in. Like there's a lot mm -hmm. of great guys and girls who are contributing to your life who they're not going to tell you, you cannot, you cannot tell. 
They have beautiful families. They're, you know, everything looks great. Mm-hmm. But when it gets real quiet and they're laying in bed, the voices come in and it's, it's bad. I'm not speaking from experience, but I'm speaking from other people's experiences. That's a really great point. And I think, especially in our community, you know, we, I, and I've said this before uh, in a video, um, but we say I am my own first responder. And that's kind of like this mantra that we have for training and when we're encouraging others to train and to be prepared and to have our, our, um, our bug out bags and things like that. And Mm -hmm. all the different things that we do to be responsible if we would need to quickly get up and go and, um, you know, either get away from or address a threat. Right. And so I think, again, it's like this mind shift that in order to be our own first responder, that that means that we actually can seek help from other people. But the key, just like going back to my birth doula days is to have a plan, have like, like we used to um, do birth plans, have a plan for what do I do if there is a really tough day? How, what are the things that make me feel better? Maybe it's going for a run or making sure that my basic needs are met, making sure I'm rested, that I have good nutritious food, that I get a change of scenery, maybe go to the gym, um, you know, read encouraging um, verses or, or a book or something like that, or, or flip through photo albums or call your friend, um, call your battle buddy. But then also what is your plan for securing lethal means if you get to that place where you're concerned that you might self-harm or take your own life? So we have a free personal safety plan that you can download. It's in our social media, which is holdmyguns.org. And if you click on that link tree, there's a it's a two-page PDF. You download it. The information's not stored on our system. You fill it out with pen and paper and you keep it and you give a copy to your friend if you want to. And so that's a tool that, you know, people who are naysayers, we can say, look, I'm glad that you've thought through these things, but not everybody has. And even if they have, it might not be written down. And there are opportunities that you can be a little bit more aware, situational awareness when your friends are having a hard time, because you might be surprised of how many people are. The other thing that is a real misnomer is that people who are struggling with suicidal ideation are just like, you know, what we see in movies sometimes. And it's like, you know, people just staring out the window and people are talking to them and nobody, they're not responding, like kind of like this catatonic thing. But the reality is, is that there, there are people many times in our community who are like the first responders or the people that have like, have done amazing things in the military, people that really have it, have their life together, but they're really feeling the pressure of it. Or maybe it's someone who's a very responsible person, but all of a sudden they just lost their job. Maybe it's because they chose not to, you know, be vaccinated or something like that. Like we have a lot of friends that lost jobs because mm. in their vocation it was required. And then they were like, I'm not going to compromise my body for this experiment. I mean, you can see my conspiracy theories shining <laughs> through here, but like, but people make people being forced to make decisions that were against their personal beliefs and values, right? They lost their job over that because they took a stand for what they believed. But the reality is they still don't have a job. So um, anyway, these are scenarios that are actually more common. And so it's very important to, in our training, be aware of the risk factors that are out there. Loss of job, a broken relationship, loss of a loved one, um, you know, 
feeling like that you haven't been able to make certain goals or that, um, you know, that you're not able to connect with people, you're moving to a new place and you feel really isolated and alone or during COVID when a lot of businesses were shut down, you couldn't go do the normal things. And these things can really take a toll on mental health, but they're not necessarily someone like having this like big psychotic break. It's, it's a, a series of unfortunate events, right? Mm. That a person can't, doesn't feel like they have any control over. A safety plan helps you to feel like you have some more control because you're in the driver's seat and you're not just along for the ride. You, you're, the things that you want are known, which is a very important way to fight fight having other people making decisions for you. If you can show that you're making decisions for yourself, that's, a, that's an important thing. But it's so important that people understand it's not what we think, depression isn't necessarily what we think it looks like. And it's even more important in our firearms community that we recognize that you know we're all carrying firearms like all the time or they're really accessible for us you know depending on what our setup is all the time and so for us um you know we have to recognize we carry firearms because they are so lethal they'll stop a threat you know but that same split second lethality of a firearm that will stop a threat can be used for a threat from within and there's no turning back. You are probably not going to survive an attempt with a firearm, unlike other methods of uh, of, of suicide. Other, so for example, like overdosing, you still have time to call for an ambulance to, um, you know, be administered medication that would counteract the effects, or have your your stomach pumped, or um, even if a person. Um, uses a rope, there's still a moment that they might be able to call out for help or someone hears something in the other room and they come in and there's still a moment to help that person, not with a gun. And so I think um, talking about naysayers, unfortunately, people say like, well, if someone's going to kill themselves, they're going to do it anyway. And that's not true. People often survive and then they go on and live a very vibrant life because they realized this is not what I want and I am really blessed to still be here. You've probably yeah. seen like people have little tattoos of like a semicolon, right? right yeah. And 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 that means like, you know, but wait, there's more. <laughs> I survived, there's more. And it's more common that we, than what you think. But instead of saying like, oh, they're gonna take their own life anyway, please at least acknowledge that firearms are very, very lethal. And so people will not get that second chance. And that's why we have to take it seriously and include it in our training to be able to notice the warning signs of someone in crisis and to know how to compassionately reach out and refer them to help. And instead of um, making it sound like it's no big deal, again, we have an opportunity to compassionately take leadership and to help our own community in a way that um, preserves rights as well. And we can do that. We are doing that. And we are asking for others to join us. That is incredible. And I I take this, I personally, I, I take this seriously because I'm, I'm kind of just really taking some time to think about it as you're talking and I'm just kind of reflecting. So forgive me if I was kind of quiet. Um, Thank you. Yeah. There was a young man who I took to summer camp, you know, we were part of a group and, you know, the, the summer camp was almost over. Everybody was having a great time. Everybody was having like these profound experiences and, you know, we were up in the mountains and it was just amazing. I had altitude sickness, so I was not enjoying it nearly as much, but such is, such is life. 
the very last day we were packing up, one of the other kids comes to me and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. One of the kids is opening up and he's coming to talk to me. This is great. Hands me a note. Says like, hey, listen, one of the guys that, you know, you were kind of supposed to watch, he, um, he, I saw him writing this and he put it in the trash can and I went and got it. And he told yeah. me that basically that he was planning on, on ending it all. And it was a, he had a whole plan. He was going to go into the, the adjacent restroom and, and it all. And it was mm-hmm. just, okay, well, what do we have to do next? And it, we kind of went to like con- damage control, like intervention mode as, you know, camp counselors and, you know, um, man, mandated yep. mandatory reporters. Um, mm-hmm. And so we had to, we had to do our work, but just thinking about it, it's like, that's not, it's not just some 14, 15, 16 year old kid who has a decent life, you know, has a good life is really looking forward. And here's the thing. He was really looking forward to coming the next year and saying like, man, I, I really want to, I really want to be up here. Like, this is amazing. Like, and like having something to look forward to yet still the voices in his head mm-hmm. saying, you know, this is all too much and, or whatever it is exactly that he was hearing. Cause it's, it's a little different for everybody. I assume. Mm-hmm. Or maybe what he was going home to, you know, sometimes right. it's really hard when you're having this beautiful experience in a place where people care about you and value you and they're listening to you and you're doing activities together, shoulder to shoulder. And then all yeah. of a sudden you're by yourself in your neighborhood and you're afraid to go to sleep at night. And like, really that scenario plays out in so many different areas, like different sectors of people too. Like think about people in the military, they're same kind of thing. Like we're all together, we're doing something, we have a cause, we're training together, exercising, eating together, every aspect of our life. We're around people shoulder to shoulder that, you know, treat us like we're part of this group and then they get out and then it's like, where do I fit in, you know? And so that is actually an amazing thing like praise god that that kid found the note at camp and came and got help he did the right thing and then think too like the age of these young people that you were helping and again like on one hand we get really frustrated because you know uh we hear the statistic now that um that that death by firearm is one of the it's it's like the leading cause of death of children and we're like, well, that's, that's gotta be, you know, that can't be right. Well, right. honestly, kids don't usually die of cancer and most kids have parents that are looking out for them. So they're not like getting into serious maiming accidents or like losing right. their lives and things like people are looking out for them. And that's why it makes sense that that statistic is there. But instead of like running it down, we need to acknowledge like, yeah, it's a leading cause of death of young people. Um, and, and suicide is one of those leading causes of death with the firearm. So we have to take it seriously, knowing that our young people are hurting that much that they're thinking about it. And instead of, um, you know, just getting angry that that people are exploiting that, then we need to say, okay, what's our solution? And how can we reach out to people who are hurting? Yeah. And just, it doesn't matter what the statistics are or who's, which politician's saying what, like if you have someone next to you that's hurting, that's your job to say, how are you doing? How can I follow up with you? I'm going to be calling you tomorrow or let's go together and get help. Who would you That's like right. to me to be with? Like, who do you want me to help you call? 
can you trust your mom? Can you trust your counselor? Let's get you connected with care so that when you go home, you're not feeling all by yourself, you know? So again, that takes some training. And, and for some of us that are like, it's the weird part about training for me was like, it's yeah, people should already know this stuff. Like, come on. But I realized that it doesn't, not, not everybody's had the same life experiences and things that come natural for some people don't come naturally for others. And like, it's also really helpful to go back and remember like, why do we do what we do? There's there's never any harm for just revisiting that and putting aside everybody's spin on everything and then like regrouping and being like, yeah, we have to preserve our, our rights. We have to look out for people. We are not, the way that we behave is not dictated by the mob. So that means we can be compassionate and not say that kid's not my problem. I'm not his yeah. dad, you know, but instead to reach out. So that's what leadership is all about. No, you're absolutely correct. And before we go any further, we do need to take a quick break. I realize we're, we're 50 minutes in. We haven't even told the folks how to how to do certain things and see certain people. So give me just one second. Let's let's tell the folks how they can support the show. So, guys, if you are still watching or listening or whatever you're doing, I'm going to assume that you love the work, that you love these conversations. And if you love these conversations, you should definitely consider supporting with little as five bucks a month or as much as you want. I don't, I don't control your finances, but if you love what we're doing and you want to see it grow and you want to see it uh, go different places, if you want to have in-person conversations with people like Sarah Joy Albright or Kevin Dixie or whoever, consider supporting the show. And in reality, you should consider supporting Hold My Guns. Obviously do some homework, do some more research. I don't care. Do whatever you have to do, but go consider supporting them you know, I'm going to challenge you, throw them 50 bucks, do, do something like that, do something crazy, and then hit me up so I can give you a big shout out on the page. But of course, once you do that, once you've supported the people that are out here doing really amazing, life-changing work, consider supporting the show. Now back to what we were talking about, sir. Thank so you. yeah, absolutely. I have a quick question because, you know, the naysayer in me is like, what about NFA items? Like, hmm. can you can you transfer to a gun store an NFA item and then get it back? How does that work? I we have not encountered this yet. So, um, with an NFA item, you I believe you do have to like go through the whole process if it's transferred to a gun shop and then tra transferred back. NFA so, being like suppressors, short mm -hmm. barrel rifles, short barrel shotguns, you know, things that aren't like standard allowed guns right so if if that is a case i believe that they that it, it restarts the process for you to get it back but really that's not the oftentimes like for example if it's a if it's a suppressor if they're storing it because they don't want someone to have access to it because maybe it could get damaged or something i would understand how it would be a um a need that's uh you know to to have it in storage that way, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily the part that someone might use to harm themselves if it was removed from the firearm. So in a situation like mental health, it's not necessarily a big deal. So we haven't really run into that a whole lot, but in that particular case, hold my guns might not be the best option. Um, a couple options that come to mind, again, assuming that you, you know, um, that you don't have like, first of all, have a safe at home, make sure your stuff's really secure and all that kind of thing, right? But 
I believe that you can take your firearms to like a locker service and that because you're renting out that locker that you don't have to have the items that are in the locker. It's not like you're putting them in a, in a book or anything. You're just renting out that space that happens to be like in a gun shop or something. So I think for that scenario, just because of the potential red tape there, I would say that's probably a wiser option than trying to put it in an A and D book because it's an F NFA item. Um, so the other thing that is really helpful is if you have a gun trust and the people in the trust are able to have NFA items, um, that's a whole different, you know, uh, scenario, but I want for people to be aware, like, you know, Hey, I have this item. If something were to happen to me, what can I do to make sure that it stays, you know, in, in my possession or it's, uh, goes to somebody that is, uh, you know, that can hang on to it and the way that they have to do it is lawfully and with a trust. So sure. anyway, those are, I think that those are better options. Again, hold my guns is not a one size fits all option. Right. Um, and we haven't encountered this particular situation yet. I know that the type of FFL is also, um, important depending like, you know, and a FFL that's like a curio FFL is like going to be able to take an, NF an NFA item. So, um, anyway, it's not the best answer because I would love to say, oh yeah, no problem. We'll take that for you, but I don't want to sure. mislead people. And I think if you have a specialty item like that, you should do your due diligence to even figure out your state and local laws as well. But I would look into locker services and look into a trust as, you know, different options for if you need to get your firearm out of your house to lawfully store it offsite. So does that answer your question the yeah, best no, we can? That does answer the question. And, and I imagine you can also just take out the the, uh, the crucial components that are not mm -hmm. serialized and just like, hey, you know, let's just take the bolt out or uh, take off the upper or whatever you want to do exactly. to make that not an issue for you if you, you know, were kind of in that situation where, you know, hold my guns seems attractive. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, there's more than one reason why you might use hold my guns. Maybe the locker is a better option if you're going to be out of the country for you know, six months or something like that. Or right. I, I imagine, because I, I was in college not that long ago. Or when was that? Has it been <laughs> that long? So I know, right? And I remember kind of being in between the dorms and crashing on my, on my friend's living room floor on an air mattress, you know, dugging it out. And at the time, I didn't own firearms, but I was like, man, it, like if if I was a student and you know, I'm 21, I can own a rifle or, or a handgun or whatever. Maybe I have a few and I'm kind of like in between places sure. or I'm going to be crashing somewhere. Maybe it might be a good thing for me to either send the guns home or, uh, you know, like depending on your situation, you do have people who might own firearms who maybe can't have it in a dorm or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, and I don't know if I articulated that well, but I'm imagining tons of scenarios where you could potentially need the service and it could be helpful. So yeah. let's, let's and talk we can about work with, we can work with locker services, by the way, if they are associated with an FFL and that mm -hmm. is a legal situation because if, for example, something happens to the individual and the firearms have to be transferred to somebody else when there's like a locker clean out, they, the people who own that locker service need to be able to lawfully transfer that to mm -hmm. an approved third party, right? So if it's just like a vault and there are 
which there are some really great services out there, by the way, that provide this. But as far as hold my guns goes from a, a legal counsel and an underwriter's position, because we cannot insure the firearms. We're not an FFL and our insurance doesn't cover firearms. The FFL's insurance covers their customers' firearms. It would put us in a sticky situation if it was a locker service, but it was not uh, under the purview of a federal firearms licensee. So that's why we can't work with a locker service that's not part of an FFL. But that being said, if there are some out there that are under an FFL and they want to work with us, that's awesome. Please reach out. So it's, you know, again, like we're not one size fits all, but a cool thing about the way that, that we do this is that not every gun shop, not every FFL has the space for locker storage, but they might have a place in their you know, their walk-in vault, a shelf that they can dedicate for these are firearms that we're hanging on to for people, or even a drawer that's in their, you know, secured location. And it's like this drawer right here, even if I'm, I'm hanging on to five pistols, that's potentially five lives saved because there are wow. people in our community who need help. So that's why I didn't start out like, let's build a bunch of buildings and have a locker service because I wanted it to be very scalable and accessible, even for like mom and pop shops that you know, they run a small gun store, but they have an opportunity to help their community and, and be a resource there. Yeah. Now that's, that is interesting. I, I do want to ask about the back end. Okay. Financials. Who makes money in this? I know it's a, a nonprofit, but somebody has to, you know, pay for the banners and pay for the travel like how much, like, are, are you losing money or, or like, are people really supporting this thing? Like, how does, how does this work? How can people look at it and say like, Hey, you know what? I need to give cause these guys, they definitely need it. And I think it's a good cause. Right. Well, earlier you asked if we were going to gun con, I don't know. Cause right now I can't afford to go to gun con. <laughs> so no. like if people want us to be able to be present at events, then the donations help us to be able to get there. Um, like I stated at the beginning, I'm a mom of five and, you know, as far as, um, my husband's like our, does our, he's our primary breadwinner. So like, um, it's just not something that, you know, I'm really, I, I, I love that you're asking that question, but basically like, I'm not someone who's really, uh, an independently wealthy person. And so as much as I would like to do things out of the goodness of my heart, like I do rely on donations to be able to, you know, purchase a booth space or to be able to, um, print out a bunch of flyers, that kind of a thing. So, but that being said, you know, we don't even qualify yet to, 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 um, if you have to make like 50,000, you have to, do you have to have donations of 50,000 or more for, uh, like it's it, within the past three years or something like that. So in order to actually like qualify for the full filing, we've never really made that threshold. So we're still filing our 990 ends, um, from a nonprofit reporting perspective. So, it's kind of like acknowledging how small we are and the fact that we're not like qualified yet to even at that financial threshold to really be, um, you know, we haven't, we haven't made much money. I don't know how else to say that. Um, also knowing about my background, like you can tell that I've been through a lot in my life and that I, one of the ways that I've had to like learn how to grow personally is to learn how to ask for money, knowing that it is, supporting the mission and that it's not like a shameful thing to ask for money. And so I've had to like apologize to my team saying like, I've really had to grow in this area to ask people to financially support, not just like 
like, share, and subscribe actually to financially support this work. And I was, I had a, um, someone reminded me that my daughter, when she was 11, went on a missions trip to the Dominican Republican, um, the Dominican Republic, oh my gosh, um, with uh, teen missions. And she went to my sister-in-law and she said, um, hey, can you help to support this work? And she was really shy about it, my daughter was. And my sister-in-law said, yes, and I want you to know that the reason why I'm donating to for you to go to the Dominican Republic is because I wish I could go, but I have two little kids and I there's no way that I can leave for a month and go do mission work and go help rehab this orphanage and help restore this playground and make it wheelchair accessible. I would love to be able to help kids do that. And, and provide for them in that way, but I can't. And so by me helping to donate to you, I'm empowering you to go because I wish I could go. And that really was a game changer for me. And it's only been like in the past six months or so. So we actually put out a sponsored prospectus that details the work that we're doing and how people's contributions are making a difference. The One of the biggest costs that I really hate, but I it's, it's just this obstacle is that because of gun control, you have to be very careful in your contracts to make sure that it's all compliant. And so what we do is we hire attorneys to fill out, we have a our initial contracts like 80% filled in and then like that remaining 20% has to be filled in with all of the local um, laws so that it's compliant so that a federal firearms licensee is allowed to use that process, right? But attorneys are not cheap and mm. it's sometimes hard to find ones that will do that pro bono work. So you know, on one hand, people might say like, I don't want my money going to attorneys, but I don't think that they understand the vision of why it's so important that we're creating a process that's compliant because if we were negligent about that, we'd be putting out of business the very people in our community that we look to when we wanna buy firearms or whatever, right? So like, wow. um, that's, a, that's an unfortunate expense that we have, but that being said, it's a necessary one. And what that does is whenever we have a state contract that's compliant, then we can bring on other FFLs. And so our hope is we have um, FFLs partners in six states right now that we can expand that out by adding additional FFLs in those existing states. And then we don't have to keep reinventing this contract every time. And our goal is to expand to 30 utilizing those existing six state compliant contracts by the end of the year. So that's pretty cool. And we're also looking to bring on at least two new states so that we can ex continue to expand out. And the goal is to have storage partners in all 50 states and really in like every major city so that it's a service that is accessible to gun owners everywhere. So a big chunk of that goes to legal, it goes to operations, it goes to having the ability to go to events, um, you know, even if, even if it is uh you know something that is like a local gun shop or a local gun show or even to like we just at shot show that was made possible by donations so anyway it's one of those things where um i've learned that asking for money is something that i enjoy doing i get really embarrassed about it but if i were to say like how would hold my guns grow better <laughs> it'd be that I would be a little bit more bold about that. And I'm growing in it. So check out the sponsor prospectus. It, the link is in the bio. And we actually have our growth plan for the next three years in there. And you can learn more about the mission and learn about ways to get involved, like volunteering. And then we also put together some really cool sponsor benefit packages that 
um, that include things like QPR training for an entire company. Something that we're looking for to raise money is to actually create a scholarship fund so that if there are gun owners in need who can't afford the kind of like market price that that FFL is setting, which we, we encourage them to keep it low, like $20 a month for the first firearm and maybe like five to 10 for subsequent. Um, but there are some people that might not be able to afford those costs. So what we want to do is have a scholarship fund so that the gun owners can say, hey, I can't afford this right now, but I would like to take from the scholarship fund. And against no questions asked, we're not going to say, well, it's free for you because someone in your home is going through a mental health crisis. But for you who's going on vacation, that's full price, because then what you're doing is you're asking personal information, like why someone's storing a firearm. And there's also a lot of um, scary things, like if a person's declaring that there's a mental illness going on, like we're in the age of, of you know, where people might think that that means that that person can't lawfully have a firearm, which that's not necessarily true. Due process still matters. Yeah, so anyway, information about that there is. Yep. So our goal is to set up a, a scholarship fund. And that's where some of that funding is going to be going. And the information about that is in the sponsor prospectus. But one thing we want to do is to really get some hero donors out there. We get a lot of grassroots donors. There's a guy, his name is Nate, and he donates $5 every paycheck. And so it's like, it's Friday. There's five dollars. That's really helpful, and I love it. And I Thanks, wish there were more mate. people out there Appreciate that did that. Buddy. Yeah, but we'd also like to get like some actual um, like manufacturers and you know uh, Liberty community sponsors. I have to say that one of my favorite um, companies out there that uh, were they've offered a discount code. This is kind of cool. Is Red Balloon? I don't know if you've heard of them, but they're a Liberty-based job-seeking, job-hunting type company. And it came about during COVID where people are losing their jobs over the vax. And so they basically, they recognized that, um, that there was a need to have a, like, kind of a, a company that posted jobs for like liberty minded like people. Indeed, um, was it monster? Yeah. But this one's, this one actually like supports liberty values and, and okay. it's, so it's like instead of like, for people who are like, well, let me just go work for mm -hmm. this company. And then you find out, oh, well, you know, same issues as the last one. Yes. Incredible. So we love the work because it actually reduces risk for suicide. If we can connect people with jobs, that's a big risk factor for a lot of people. But anyway, they've offered a discount code of 10%. If you, if you go to Red Balloon and I think it's redballoon.work, um, but they offer 10% if you put in Hold My Guns, if you're an employer and you are um, posting jobs so that people in our community who need jobs can be connected with them. So check that out. Like if you, if you're an employer and it's like a $5,000 a year package and 10% off, then that's a significant discount if you're yeah, an employer. So, yeah, and so, we're not getting kickbacks for that right now, but right, we are trying should, to establish though. relationships like you, that, that well, actually yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, it definitely. That's such a hard place to be. Cause I know even with the show, I mean, we, we make, nothing <laughs> and not, not yeah. in the not in the grand scheme of things we want to say thank you to the patron supporters they are fantastic mm -hmm. we have quite a few you know the dudes in the in the discord we have a private discord and we, we chat up and cool. we share information and it's so cool but on the other side you realize okay like man there's there's a lot of bills like to this program I mean, this this virtual program itself hundreds of dollars just so we can yeah. be here um but Really quickly, I did want to address a, a question that we, I just saw pop in. 
um, cool. from somebody who just tuned in and they were asking what service you guys provide for the FFLs. So just kind of recapping, you know, you guys basically create contracts so that uh, if somebody is either unwell or just needs a place to, you know, store their guns temporarily for really any reason that they are mm-hmm. able to without question. Um, and I suppose that the FFL can make a small, you know, commission of, you know, 10, 20 bucks a month or whatever, um, whatever they're charging. And I guess that's their, that's the benefit plus helping the community, of course. Yeah. It's the, they, they are making a commission on it and it's not a lot, but it's something, um, they are, really recognize as leaders in their community who care about their customers. They have great customer retention because the customers are coming back. They trust that they're a place where they can safely store or securely store their investments, their firearms. So building that trust and building customer retention is a big deal. Uh, We want to, again, like funding comes into play here. We want to start hosting events that are really fun, that um, elevate the our gun shop partners, like, you know, having like a community day in their parking lot and, you know, maybe bringing in a local band and um, maybe having like some food trucks or something and to really just help the firearms community to shine. And so we have opportunities like that whenever we're in, um, you know, whenever we have press opportunities, we talk about our, our storage partners, whenever there's opportunities that, you know, that, that they, uh, their successes, we always try to elevate them. So, it's really hard to get good PR from mainstream media, but like even recently, our partner Allegheny Arms in Pittsburgh was on CBS News because of Hold My Guns, and it was a positive story. So there's that benefit. Don't you just we love also that? just a positive stories. <laughs> yeah, because people end up and, in the news for everything bad these days, you know. And it should something. be positive, right? Yes. So like those are some of the benefits, and we also offer training, like suicide prevention certificate training for employees, um, but just opportunities to really shine, and we we pass that on to people as much as possible. So, yeah. So just want to highlight, uh, one of the commenters, Jay, the shooter. Um, he said he has an office in Virginia. He's, he's an FFL, um, all the FFLs full auto. He's got him and his partner. They have the, I think the world, the only fully automatic five, seven and desert Eagle. And they, they do a lot of fun stuff, mm-hmm. but, um, I, you know, he's saying he has an office in Virginia. If, does he have to have like a like a gun storefront, or if he has a uh, like a physical location that designate his designated as an FFL, like an, an office building? Maybe he doesn't sell guns out of it. I don't know, but what he does, he has he would have to tell me. Is he able to uh, get involved like that, or what? So we want to work primarily with retail locations. We know that a lot of people have successful businesses out of their homes. We are concerned about, you know, if someone were to be storing firearms and then showing up at someone's home at three o'clock in the morning, like I want to know what the security plan of the FFL would be if they're going to be partnering with us. And, you know, maybe they have maybe they own a property where their home is on the property, but like they have an outbuilding where that FFL is uh, located, that kind of a thing. Um, I think that that would be a more ideal situation than like a kitchen table FFL. But that being said, our Washington partner is runs out of out of their home. So um, and they were, you know, they have a very professional business. And so we take things like that into consideration. But what we're looking for right now is we're looking to grow and move out of that pilot phase. Our retail locations, we require that they carry general liability insurance so that 
they can cover any damages that happen to that firearm, you know, God forbid, while it's in their care, like let's say it gets scratched or something, um, then they need to be able to cover that. So we also require that they um, work with an attorney, which we're looking to, as we're growing out of that pilot phase, we want to be able to shoulder those costs because it's cost prohibited for a lot of FFLs to like pay for attorneys to create contracts and stuff like that. So, um, but they would be working with one of, one of our attorneys to make sure that it is, uh, that everything's compliant and that their store policies are also included in that contract. So that's kind of like the willingness and what we expect. We also expect like last but not least, super, super important is that they have really great customer service. We just can't work with uh, FFLs. It's like, I'm giving them one star. If I could give them zero, I would. They were so rude to me. I, you know, I picked up my firearm and it was damaged, that kind of thing. We want to work with people that actually care about firearms and their customers and, you know, whether they're having a good day or a bad day, that they're going to treat them with dignity. And um, so that's, that's what we're looking for in an FFL. And if you're interested out there and you're like, this describes me, Go to our social media, holdmyguns.org, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, and if you go to that link tree, there's a form. I'm an FFL. I'm interested in signing on. Then shoot us a line. Definitely. And I, I will need to make sure you you get contact information for Jay the Shooter because he's, awesome. he's pretty well connected. He Actually, he just invited you out to his event that he's having called Pew Party where they're shooting a bunch of guns and it's going to be crazy, a bunch of full auto this and that and things that probably don't exist in real life, but they're there. <laughs> they're <laughs> so, there. Something out of Call awesome. of Duty. But, thank you. Yeah, so thank you guys for, you know, in the comments, sending over information and, you know, supporting Hold My Guns, even just by being here. We appreciate that. Um, let me see. That said, we we definitely want to just make sure that we didn't miss anything. Gosh, was there was there anything that we just we have to cover? Golly. Couple things. Um, first of all, what we're doing is a solution that undermines gun control, and a lot of times people just think about like the goodwill aspect of what we're doing, and they don't realize that because we're taking the leadership to do this and we're putting in the hard work that it actually affects the entire community to be able to say like, hey, if you know someone who's having a hard time or they can't, you know, have their firearms for whatever reason can't be in their home, maybe they have a foster child coming in, they wanna provide emergency housing, but the laws there say you can't have any firearms in the home, we don't want people to lose their guns and we want them to be able to, to you know, be a liberty-minded family who's actually able to make a difference in the life of this child in need, but temporarily they have to have firearms out of the house or whatever reason, right? Like I want for our community to realize that it's not just a matter of goodwill, but it's a matter of creating a solution that just sweeps the legs out from underneath a lot of the reasoning for gun control. And so by supporting Hold My Guns and this work, what you're doing is you are just amplifying the beauty of liberty and the beauty of self-governance. And you're being a way maker for people in our community to be able to get the support that, that they need. And at the same time, you're flipping off the whole argument that the government needs to be the ones to step in and do this. Mm -hmm. And so if you're kind of on the fence about, um, you know, is, should I be supporting Hold My Guns? I don't know if I'm ever going to need the service please keep in mind that in the bigger scheme of things that we are fighting the government answer to this. And the reality yes. is like 
you can tell how uncomfortable I am about money because I, I grew up really poor. So it's really hard. It's really hard. I'm growing, I'm growing. But the reality is if we don't, if we are not able to sustain the work that we're doing, we're not going to be here forever. And yes. so I want for the community to realize like that it's not just about, you know, the goodwill aspect, but it is a formidable solution that literally has shut people down in congressional hearings, like Diana Muller talking about hold my guns in a congressional hearing as Ooh. a solution. Like, how do you argue with that? You can't. How do you argue when it's in the epic times and it's like, this is a solution that is actually working, you know? So again, like it's not just about, um, the, about storing firearms for people. It's about being a very loud and difficult to argue with voice about what responsibility looks like. We hear people all the time say, you know, oh, we just wish gun owners would be more responsible. Well, guess what? Here, we're actually doing something that is that promotes responsibility and self-governance, and it mm. creates the infrastructure that makes that possible. But that does cost money. And so I would say, um, keep that in mind when you think about, you know, whether or not you feel led to support the work. We are looking for volunteers. And so there's a place on that um, in the link tree for people to, you know, say, hey, I'm really great at graphics design. Can I donate something that way? That's Can huge, I write expensive. some content? Yep. Because all of those services we would have to contract out for somebody else to do. Mm -hmm. And the more it's coming from within our Liberty community, I can spotlight like, here's this fantastic artist over here. Look at the great work that they're doing. They've donated this. We actually saw that in, the, if you look at the brochure, which is also in that link tree, um, Jeff Sparandeo from, um, from USCCA, he's a phenomenal photographer, donated one of those pictures. Um, Matt Baines from, from Lobster Media donated one of those other pictures. The pictures that are in our brochure are showing people having fun on the range. Their booger picker's not on the triggers. Everything's in a safe direction. They're smiling, they're having fun. That's the kind of stuff that we want to portray. I don't want to have to go to stock photos for that. I want to highlight the amazing photography skills that's going on in our community. That's right. There's opportunities to write content. There's opportunities to, you know, even just put our logo on your website so that when people go to your website that they know like, hmm, what's hold my guns? Whoa, I didn't realize that this, that this service is out here. And now I'm going to share this with my friend in need. So there are many different ways to get involved, um, you know, if, if yeah. you can't donate financially or if you want to help get involved in other ways get in touch. And humbly speaking, if you have ideas for fundraising, let me know. One thing that I'm I'm thinking about doing is having raffles. like raffles and also shooting contests. So what we're, what we're hoping to do is find um, a graphics designer out there that can make a really cool target that people can download. And then like, you know how if people run a marathon, it's like sponsor me. And if I can make X number of miles, then you'll contribute this. Well, we want to have like a, a score system on there where people like compete to see how high their scores can be and then have like different shooting clubs get involved. And it's a way to like get the word out, but we're looking for people who can help make that possible. So if that is, you know, springtime's coming up, people want to get out outside and do the outdoor ranges, not they're tired of being indoors, you know, this is an opportunity to have some fun with it. And that's what we want is to elevate the beauty of Liberty in our community, have fun for a good cause. That's, that's such a beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm happy that you're saying this because in reality, the concept of hold my guns isn't super sexy. And I don't mean that in an, in any demeaning or derogatory way. It just isn't like, Oh, if I'm having a mental break episode and issue, maybe there might be somebody who could potentially help so that I don't hurt myself or somebody else. 
that's not a conversation a lot of people want to have. Like, it doesn't get people right. excited, like shooting full autos on the range or something like that. But I get excited about full autos on the range. But yes, yeah, yes. But it's it's important. It's so important because you won't your buddies and the people that are with you, the people that maybe are dealing with things you don't know about. Right. Those are the people that may benefit from this. It may not be yeah. you ever. In fact, it may not be your buddy ever, but it may be your buddy's buddy. And that mm -hmm. can change everything. That said, companies and organizations who are out there um, who are actually about this life, who are liberty-minded, liberty-focused. I, I love liberty people just because, you know, I'm low-key am one. Um, it is it is cool to kind of see your vision for this and kind of see where it can go and see who, who all can get involved. And, you know, if it's like, hey, let's let's volunteer. Or, hey, let's give you a booth. Or, hey, let's do this or that. And, you know, hey, can I buy your plane ticket so you can come to this event? Or, yeah. you know, like little, little tiny things that honestly anyone can do, but it's a matter of doing it. You know, mm -hmm. like for myself, I'm just like, ah, oh, what skills do I have? None of my, I'm, I'm a jack of all master of none. So it's like one of those things. All I can do is like, you know, pimp you guys out or I'm sure there's one, one or two more things. I'm sure we could talk about it at, at a later point. That said, I'm, I'm excited that you kind of see the, the bigger picture. And I really hope that anybody who's listening or watching, I, I see there's a few people here right now. We'll also see the bigger picture and share this out. Like maybe, maybe, maybe you're not in a position to throw five bucks every check or, you know, five bucks a month, maybe, but maybe you're in a position where you're like, yo, I can do like a thousand bucks today. And that's kind of it for a little bit, but I, I will do that. Mm -hmm. What's stopping you? <laughs> like, why the heck not? Like, come on, like, let's get it. Let's, let's go. I appreciate that. Again, like this is, it's one of those things where if you know, you know, and you're talking about like going to that machine gun shoot and like being there and maybe a friend who's normally there is suddenly not there. Yeah. And so we we want to have a way that we can look out for people. And even just the outreach alone, Aaron, is changing the conversation in our community where people have said, I wasn't doing so well. And I heard about your organization and out of curiosity, I started reading about it. And what I realized was that my community actually cares and that was enough for me to realize that I do need to seek help. I'm not storing firearms, but you gave me the hope that I needed that my community cares. Wow. And there's a value of that. And that it's so important that that message comes from us, not out, not from the outside community that doesn't care, that wants to exploit things like this. It needs to come from within our own community because people know that it's genuine and that we're not here to stigmatize or take away rights, but because we genuinely care about our brothers and sisters in this community. And we are all humbly in these trenches together. And when one of us falls, all of us fall. We have to look out for each other. Wow. That's that's a message right there. When one falls, we all fall. Um, Sarah, Joy, Albright, thank you so much for, for sharing that. If there's anything else that you need to share, please please do so. But I do want to kind of give you an opportunity to do that and also let people know where they can find you and the work and maybe anything else that you're excited about, anything that's coming up in the future. Um, please take that time now. Cool. 
So you can find us at holdmyguns.org and on social media at holdmyguns.org. There's a link in the bio for our social media where you can download a copy of the personal safety plan. It's a two page plan and you fill in the information that you would want if you were ever finding yourself in a time of crises that puts you in the driver's seat and not just along for the ride. It makes sure that your preferred resources, your preferred course of action, if you ever find yourself in a difficult place, that that is followed and that other people are not dictating what your course of action will be. That's a very powerful tool that even if you find yourself like in the hospital, you can say, here's my personal plan. This is what I want followed. These are the people that need to be called. And it shows that you are taking responsibility for your own life and that you want to have personal agency in the informed decisions that are being made for your care. So please check out that personal safety plan. It was actually mentioned on active self-protection. Uh, that's how much it is, uh, it's how powerful of a tool it is. And, and by the way, we love um, John and Neil and all, all of our friends at active self-protection over there. Also in that link in the bio is a way to donate to Hold My Guns. There's also information about how to volunteer and how to become a storage partner as well. And our sponsor prospectus is in there. Upcoming events, man, I'm really excited about a Girl in a Gun National Conference for the second time in a row. I'm gonna be coming back as an instructor this year. It's an incredible event that's gonna be in Grand Junction, uh, Colorado. And I'm gonna be teaching suicide prevention to range safety officers, instructors, gun shop employees, and other women in our community. And it's just so cool. I, there's going to be uh, 60 students. It's going to be um, six uh, courses with 10 students each. And I really look forward to teaching that again this year. I think it's a valuable uh, tool that those of us who are firearms professionals should have that kind of training so that if we're ever out on the range that we can identify if someone is at risk, that they're not doing well, and that we are equipped and empowered to be able to um, help to de-escalate that situation and to refer them to appropriate resources. So those are some cool things uh, you know, coming up and ways to get involved. We also have a community tab that's pretty new on our website. Again, our website's holdmyguns.org. Believe it or not, we get censored a lot online. Um, we've had um, like social media fundraisers and things like that taken down simply because we have the word guns in our name. And so, you know, it's a fight that we have with Instagram and Facebook and, and these socials. So by being part of the community, you are able to have these kinds of conversations and dig in deep, just like we did tonight, without worrying about being shadow banned, without saying, hmm, I haven't seen posts from Hold My Guns in a while. Oh, yeah, here they mm. are. They're just not showing up on my feed anymore. So that's a way to beat the censors and, again, to take self-governance and say, I'm going to be part of a community where, um, you know, it's not going to be taken down because uh, <laughs> someone didn't get coffee that morning. So anyway, um, I'm excited. I always uh, want to say, too, that if anyone in this community, people who are listening, if they ever want to talk, please reach out. You can uh, easily do that at info at holdmyguns.org. Let us know what's going on in your life. Help, let us help you connect to resources in your area. We are people who genuinely care and we want to help to connect you with people, uh, if that's what you'd like, who can help you as well. Of course, I have to say, you know, um, if anyone's ever experiencing a suicide crisis, please get help. Please call 988, which is the suicide prevention or suicide um, lifeline. And 
it is a valuable tool. And by doing that, you'll be connected with a counselor and they will be able to listen and uh, truly hear what's going on in your life and encourage you and offer you hope and offer connection to resources. So there is no shame in seeking help. And in fact, you know, I think a lot of times, again, we have this mindset of, I am my own first responder. And in this situation, being your own first responder means having the courage to address what's going on from within and to just like with, we don't have a victim mentality, be, you know, when we're engaging threats from the outside, we don't want to have a victim mentality to say, this is hopeless. Nobody can help me. We want to be victorious. So I'm encouraging people to make a victorious choice to courageously seek help because we want for you to be there at that next machine gun shoot at a girl at a gun. We want to see you at SHOT Show. You mean a lot to us and we want to um, encourage you and help you to feel more connected to our community. Let us know how our community has failed you even. Like we're strong and courageous enough in our own lives, like be bold and say, hey, I need for people to be around me. I feel like people haven't been reaching out as much. Is there something wrong? Can we talk? You know, um, you know, we wanna make sure that people have healthy relationships. So we wanna listen, we wanna know how we can best serve you. And we want for you to see tomorrow, we wanna bring hope. The, the, I, I want to end by saying, I believe that suicide prevention, as well as liberty, these things are a message of hope. And so when we talk about these things, we do so with strength and a joy in our heart, knowing that we want for people to be able to enjoy tomorrow. And I thank you for listening tonight. Incredible. I'm not sure how I'd pull an outro with how well you just, you know, just laid that out there. You want to just take over the show? Like, you know, Thursdays, Sundays. You have a gift. I'm not taking a, no, the fact that, that your platform even cares about this means so much to me and Aaron, I've yeah. really in, enjoyed the questions that you've asked tonight. Um, you know, just really digging in deep and I, and this is, I don't always get that in an interview. And so I feel like, yeah. um, you're very gifted and please keep using your gifts and talents for the benefit of our community. You're amazing. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here. And I'm just going to go ahead and run the outro. Guys, thank you so much for being here. If you are a fan of the show, consider supporting. Links down below for Patreon, all that. But before you even do any of that, before you give me five bucks, I want you to consider helping out the cause of Hold My Guns or another organization like that. Anything that has to do with taking care of the people in our community. Um, making sure that we're good, like up here, we're good up here, you know, we're good in here. Like, let's, let's do all of that. I, I think we've kind of taken for granted all the things and maybe some of you haven't, and maybe some of you are involved in this thing already. Keep it up, keep working hard. But for those who haven't been, let's get it. Like, let's stop messing around, support with your dollars, deport, support with, uh, your kind words, support with the share. Sharing is huge. That's how we beat the shadow ban. They cannot stop our shares, okay? So let's do that. And uh, thank you for all those who have been here in the comment section. If you are listening on the podcast side, come over to YouTube, hit subscribe, like, watch one or two videos, please. Thank you very much. And until next time, keep it costly.